This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, it's really good that you all could come here today, uh, and it's a difficult passage, so let's go ask God as we do every week to help us to understand what He's saying. Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really pray that you help us to understand Isaiah chapter 23, that you help us to understand what it meant for the people who first heard it, and how it applies to us today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, how many of you have heard of this band called Ever? Okay, see, maybe only the older people know it. But it's a famous band, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's still got a lot of good songs. So you may have heard this song, Money, 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 right? Have you heard this song called Money, Money, Money? Right, it's quite a catchy tune, you know, like Money, Money, Money. Must be funny in the rich man's world. Right, Money, 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 always sunny in the rich man's world. So I must leave, I have to go to Las Vegas or Monaco. To win a fortune in a game, my life will never be the same. I think that uh, as we kind of like uh, hear these lyrics, we can identify which what is being said here. After all, we see all these people lining up in these strange places. You know, it's like you wander into the supermarket and there are these people lining up. You walk down the street and these people lining up. And they're lining up for the, the total place, right? And uh, in many ways, they can identify with what Abba is saying here. And I feel like in many ways, uh, we do... Uh, understand what is being said here because we, we want to have money. We envy the rich. We look at the lifestyles of the rich and famous and we think, what do we, would it be like if we were like that? So I remember the other day a while ago, I was uh, sitting on the bus going down Orchard Road and uh, the bus stopped and I think it was outside Paragon and I, was, I had a seat next to the window and right next to me came this red Lamborghini. Right, So a bit like this car and I remember sitting in the bus, looking down, thinking, wow, what it must be to sit in a Lamborghini, because I've never sat in a Lamborghini before. And then my mind started you know, wandering, I was thinking, where would he be going? Right? Where is he going for lunch? What, what is his lifestyle like? What, what would it be like to live in that person's life? And I think that that is the context and the background for which we are coming to this passage today. It is, you know, you're sitting in the bus, and you're looking at the red Lamborghini, thinking, What would it be like if I was sitting in that Lamborghini? And in many ways, that is the situation that I think that the book of Isaiah chapter 23 is actually being written to. Because it's almost as if Judah and Jerusalem, uh, where Isaiah was writing to, were looking up to its immediate neighbor and Tyre, which is in the north. Okay, And they're sort of asking themselves, and they're like sitting in the bus, right? thinking, what would it be like if we were like Tyre? Because Tyre was a very rich Capital, it was like the marketplace of the world, and it was the center of the Phoenician, uh, the Phoenician Empire. Okay, so the Phoenician Empire was like a trading empire. The next slide, where basically you see all the red, these were like all their trade routes, like it was like a maritime power, and it traded all the way from Tyre, which was its capital, all the way up to Spain, and, and if you actually go and Google it, apparently they even managed to send ships all the way up to Great Britain, right, which is way, way around the corner. And they were very, very, uh, sophisticated in terms of their technology. They were very masterful in terms of making clothes, uh, in the shipbuilding, in their industry. So much so that, um, that they became very rich and powerful. And they were rich and powerful 
for a very long time. And the center of their power was Tyre. Okay, so Tyre was this place, on the next slide, which was right up next. So anyway, they had all these ships, they built all these ships. So this is from uh, Asterix. Right, so one of the Asterix, okay, there's, a, there's one about uh, the Phoenician Empire. Okay, so Tyre, the next slide, okay, it was over there, the capital. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was like this majestic city, which was basically unconquerable, right? So the next slide, okay, it's sort of built on this island. It's a bit like, imagine Penang. Okay, so you know Penang is, you all know Penang is, right? Penang is in the north, in Malaysia, right? So it was like Penang, it was like this island off the mainland, okay? And so it had many, many harbors, it was like this big marketplace. And so this is the context, this is the background, okay? So Jerusalem, Judah, they're kind of like in the bus, looking at the Lamborghini, the people living in Tyre. And that's where we find chapter 23. So as we come to chapter 23, uh, someone once said to me, Hey, very hard to understand no, during the Bible study, right? Oh, I don't understand what's happening. Well, the way you really understand it is to see it like a, a movie. So imagine like you're watching Avengers Endgame, okay? So you're just looking at it from different perspectives. So think of chapter 23 as a movie, right? You, you, you're sort of seeing the, 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 the reality through the eyes of different people. So let's look at chapter 23, verse 1. So a prophecy against Tyre, Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed. And left without house or harbor. For the land of Cyprus, word has come to them. Okay, so that's the first group of people. Okay, then the second group of people. Be silent, you people of the island, you merchants of Sidon, whom the seafarers have enriched. On the great waters came the grain of Sihor, the harvest of the Nile was the revenue of Tyre, and she became the marketplace of the nations. Be ashamed, Sidon, and you fortress of the sea, for the sea has spoken. I have neither been in labor, nor given birth, I have neither reared sons nor brought up daughters. When word comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report from Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail you people of the island. So what's happening here is you can actually see that you're given a perspective of the, the situation from different eyes. So the first uh, perspective is from the sailors of Tarshish. So that's what it says there, from the ships of Tarshish. So if you look at the slide here, Tarshish was like in Spain, okay, so it's like in modern day Spain. It's like the furthest corner of the Phoenician Empire. So if you remember in the Old Testament, Tarshish was actually where Jonah ran away from God, right, okay, so, so this is very far away. So the ships, uh, the next slide, come from Tarshish all the way back to Tyre. They're like on this trade route, lah. they're going back and forth, right, Tyre to Tarshish, Tarshish to Tyre. So they're going back and forth. And the ships of Tarshish are coming back from Tarshish. And they dock at the island of Cyprus on their way back to Tyre. And the news comes to them that their home port, Tyre, is destroyed. There's neither home, neither harbour left for them. And so here, the reaction is one of wailing. Right? You can imagine all the sailors are like, oh, you know, there's no longer any job for us. There's no longer any trade route. There's no longer any home. There's no longer any harbour. And then there's another group of people. And this group comes in verse 2, right? These are like the general people who are occupying the various ports and uh, the various nations uh, which trade with uh, Tyre. So here it says that, you know, if you look at the next slide, so all these people here, they will all hear the news of Tyre's 
collapse. And the reaction again is one of stunned silence. Like they're, they're, they're stunned into silence. It's something that they can't believe. And then the next group of people are the people in Egypt. Okay, so Egypt is here. Uh, Sihor is one of the cities along the river Nile. And apparently in the past, uh, the grain from the river Nile, from the harvest, used to go to Tyre, where there would be this big marketplace. Right? And that's where they would make their money. And again, when Egypt hears of Tyre's collapse, they will be in anguish and suffering because they know that the trade route has now dried up. But there's a very strange phrase that is given to us here. Right? It says in verse 4, it says, Be ashamed, Sidon, you fortress of the sea, for the sea has spoken. I've neither been in labor nor given birth. I've neither reared sons nor brought up daughters. Now again, you have to see it from a poetic point of view. Right? Because Tyre is a coastal city. right? So it's almost as if the sea has given birth to this city, Tyre. But poetically, it's sort of saying that the, the, the destruction of Tyre is so great that the sea laments and says, I've neither given birth, neither have I been in labor, because Tyre herself is now gone. So you can see here, it's like a, it's like a, a movie, right? So you're seeing the destruction of Tyre from different perspectives. From the sailors coming back from Tarshish, from the people coming back around the Phoenician coast, from the people of Egypt, from people all over the world during that time, they would lament and mourn and wail and meet, weep at the destruction of Tyre. But then in verse 7 to 9, we are given a reason why. Why is this happening? Why is this destruction happening to, Tashi, to, sorry, to Tyre? So in verse nine, 7, it says, Is this your city of revelry, the old, old city, whose feet have taken her to settle in far-off lands? Who planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are renowned in the earth? The Lord Almighty planned it to bring down her pride and all her splendor, and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Now here we are given a description of Tyre itself. Right? And the first description is that she is a city of revelry. I think if you are using the ESV Bible, it actually describes it as a city of exaltation. So it's a city of celebration. But what are they celebrating? They're celebrating, if you look back to verse 8, their wealth. They're exalting, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing in jubilation of wealth. And their wealth has made them like royalty. Right? It's like they've become so rich that their merchants have become like princesses and their traders have become famous and renowned. So this is the attitude of Tyre, a place of celebration, a place of exaltation of their great wealth and the honor and glory that's given them. Right? It's, it's, it's rejoicing and celebrating over her great glory which comes from wealth and prosperity. But there's another strange description in verse 7. Right? It says, Is this your city of revelry, the old, old city? 
Now, this is a very strange phrase again, and this is what makes Isaiah very hard to understand. Why is it the old, old city? Uh, in the ESV, he calls it the origin from days of old. Okay, That's why I always feel like the ESV is a bit hard to understand. Right? Old, old is easier for me to understand. But what it's saying is that it's not new wealth, it is old wealth. But it's not just old wealth. Uh, the city of Tyre was an ancient city which had been in the trade routes for many years and always been wealthy. So I uh, copied this uh, description from, uh, I think if you Google it, it's like uh, some ancient history uh, website on the net, right? So it says that the Phoenician city-states began to take form in 3200 BC and were firmly established by 2750 BC. Phoenicia thrived as a maritime trader and a manufacturing center from 1,500 to 332 BC. Okay, so that's a really long time. Uh, and remember, Isaiah was writing during 700 BC. Okay, so right smack bang in the middle of her, of her, of a very strong period. And was highly regarded for her skill in shipbuilding, glass making, the production of dyes, an impressive level of skill in the manufacture of luxury and common goods. Because their goods were so highly prized, Phoenicia was often spared the kinds of military incursions suffered by other regions in the Near East. For the most part, the great military powers preferred to leave the Phoenicians to their trade. So you now understand the context, right? So it was a city of celebration of her wealth. But it was an old, old city which also found her security in her wealth, right? It wasn't as if she became rich, then she lost it. She was like invaded, then she became poor, then she became... It had always been a rich place. And therefore, the people, in many ways, uh, felt security in their wealth. They, they felt that their, their, their wealth and their prosperity and their skill secured their future. And that's why, in many ways, it was like uh, the idea in Proverbs chapter 18, which says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable war. And that's the attitude that the Phoenicians and the, Thai, the people of Tyre had. It's like, you know, we've been rich for since 1,700, sorry, 1,500 BC, right? And it's now 700 BC. We've been rich for 700 years, right? I mean, Singapore's only been around for like much, much, much less than that. So th- these people in Tyre, they felt secure in their wealth. But then, that's a problem, right? Because it means that their security, their focus was in their wealth. So I remember once um, I saw a picture, and this is a, I'm not making this up, right? Where, you know, in American uh, dollar bills, do you, remember, do you know what it says in the American dollar bills and the American money? It always says, in God we trust, right? So I remember seeing once on someone's lap, uh, uh, um, desktop, on the top of the, the, the desktop, they actually put this little plaque and it said, in money we trust. And in many ways, that's the attitude of Tyre. Right? The city of Tyre celebrated its wealth and it trusted in its wealth. Now, why are we told this? See, the context is Israel was looking enviously to her neighbor and her north, right? She was sitting in the bus. Tyre was the person in the red Lamborghini. And she was sort of seduced by the great wealth and the glory of wealth 
that Tyre represented. It looked to the wealth of Tyre and it looked to the security of her wealth. But God, in this chapter, is basically saying the glory of wealth and the security of wealth will soon be destroyed. It will soon be destroyed. And it gives her a picture of the different reactions of all the people. And it says, why do you want to envy Tyre and her wealth and the glory of wealth and the security of wealth when the reality is, in a few years' time, Tyre itself will be destroyed? Now, I think that it's something which is very real for all of us, this envy of wealth and the desire to, you know, when we see the glory of wealth and the security of wealth that people have, to be tempted and seduced by that. I remember my previous church, there was a church uh, leader who became very, very successful. He was an entrepreneur. He he was in the newspaper. He invented some things. And that wasn't a problem. I I guess what happened was, after he became very successful, he became very ungodly. He stopped going to church. Uh, He divorced his wife. And what happened was, his attitude to money and wealth was radically changed, right? So instead of trusting God and having faith in God, he, he gloried and exalted in his wealth. And he found security in his wealth. Now, if it was a danger for this church leader, it's a danger for us. It was a danger for God's people in 700 BC. Then I think we can identify with that. Uh, there's a very um, good psalm in Psalm chapter 73. I don't think, I'm not sure we actually preached on it. I think maybe we did in the, 4 p.m. service, it's Psalm 73, uh, which actually speaks from the psalmist's perspective of that very temptation to look to the rich and actually want to be like them. So this is what he says, and I think it bears reflection, even though we can't go in depth through it. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence, for their callous hearts comes iniquity, and their evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. So here we actually see someone who is in that situation. He's looking at the rich, they're arrogant and they're proud. So usually, you know, rich people uh, and arrogance and pride go hand in hand. And in this passage, 
we see that that is the reason why God punishes Cyrus. Uh, sorry, um, Tyre, right? Because it says there in uh, verse nine, the Lord Almighty planned it to bring down her pride and all her splendor, to humble all who are renowned on the earth. So here, God actually says that He doesn't just randomly bring down Tyre, but He brings down Tyre for her pride and her arrogance because of her glory and her exaltation in her wealth and her security in her wealth. And as we read in Psalm chapter 73 as well, we see that that is the final destiny. Right? The psalmist goes into the temple of God and he sees that ultimately the glory and the pride of wealth as well as the security of wealth cannot actually give you security. At the end of the day, it will actually let you down. And that's what we're supposed to learn today. We may, li- we may sit on the bus and look at the people. In the- if you happen to have a red Lamborghini, that's fine. But, you know, we may sit on the bus and happen to sit a- look at the people of the red Lamborghini. But, but at the end of the day, what we're meant to learn is the glory of wealth, the pride of wealth, the arrogance of wealth, and the security found in wealth cannot secure in the end. Because the, the final destiny will still be death, will still be destruction. Now, in verse 11 to 14, God actually outlines exactly what is going to happen, right? So God is not going to just sort of like randomly say, well, this is going to happen sometime in the future. Uh, he says in verse 11, right? The Lord has stretched out his hand over the seas and made its kingdoms tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia that her fortresses be destroyed. He said, No more of your revelry, virgin daughter of Sidon, now crushed. Up, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Look at the land of the Babylonians, this people that are of now no account. The Assyrians have made it a place of desert creatures. They've raised up their siege towers, they've stripped its fortresses bare and turned it into a ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, your fortress is destroyed. So what God is saying is, uh, if you look at this map up here, is it the map? Yep. You see that uh, the Assyrians had destroyed the Babylonians. Okay, So the Babylonians, see Babylon? And eventually they will come down, they will sweep down south, and they will also destroy the Phoenicians. And, and even Tyre, so Cyprus is off further into the Mediterranean Sea, right? And, uh, you see that round thing? Oh, you can't see it anyway, but it's like further into the ocean, right? So even, even if they run away from Cyprus, they cannot find safety from the Assyrians. And what God is saying here is that her, her destruction will come, and it will come very soon. Now, her wealth, her prosperity, her old, old money cannot protect her. So the lesson that God's people are meant to understand as they hear the words of the prophet Isaiah is, why trust in Tyre, right? Why envy Tyre? Why envy her glory in wealth? Why envy her security in wealth? Now, as we come to the last part of this uh, section in chapter 23, we move away from, I guess, the, the poetic section but we now move to a prophecy, right? a very specific prophecy of what's going to happen. 
In verse 15 it says, At that time Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, the span of a king's life. But the end of these 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take up the harp, take up a harp and walk through the city, you forgotten prostitute. Play the harp well, sing many a song so that you will be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre and she will return to her lucrative prostitution and ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. Now this is a very surprising thing. Right? So Tyre is destroyed, but God says, look, in 70 years, okay, we don't know whether that's literally 70 years or king's lifetime or whether 70 is symbolic because 7 is the picture of completeness, so in God's good time. But whatever happens, whether 70 years, one generation, or whether 70 years, God's complete time, God would allow Tyre to become wealthy again and to return to her prosperous trade. And that's actually, that's what happens, right? Uh, as you saw in the history, right? She continued to be prosperous up until 333 BC, right? So it's quite a long time more, right? She, she fell, then she became prosperous again. But it's interesting what God describes Tyre. So how is Tyre described? You remember? She's described as the prostitute. But how can uh, a, a, a nation or a city be a prostitute? I mean, what does it mean? What is God saying? What it's basically saying is, a prostitute is someone who will do anything for money. Right? A prostitute sells herself for money. She will do anything for money. They will do anything in the service of money without shame or ethics or morals. Now this ties in with what we know about Tyre. She glories and celebrates in wealth. She finds security in wealth. So therefore, you can understand how she is willing to do anything for money. She's willing to prostitute her very self for money. Because if you have the attitude where it is not in God we trust, but in money we trust, then money becomes a God for you. Right? I'm willing to serve money and do anything for money, even if it means selling my very soul. But not only does Tyre prostitute herself for wealth, but she hoards and stores up all her wealth in a self-interested way, in a self-focused way. Now, that's what it says there, right? She, she stores up and hoards her wealth from which she earns through her prostitution. Now when we um, went through the responsive reading, when Jesus gave the parable of the rich fool, I remember we the next slide. I remember how the parable the man kept saying, "This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Then I'll say to myself, "You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry." Now you notice here there's a lot of personal pronouns, right? I, me, myself. And the reason why it's written this way, and why Jesus describes it this way, because Jesus is a wonderful teacher, is that all of his wealth is used for no one else but himself. 
He stores it all for me, myself and I. Right? It's, it's a self-focused hoarding and storing of wealth. And this is what Jesus criticizes. He stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. In the same way, Tyre hoards her wealth for herself. She prostitutes herself. She does anything for her wealth. But verse 18 is like the great reversal, right? The great shock at the end of this chapter. Because in verse 18 it says, Her prophets will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food. Oh, sorry, I started halfway through. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up and hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. Now, I don't think it literally means that uh, you know God is going to give abundant food and fine clothes to God's people in Judah. The context is very important. right? What it's basically saying is, the, 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 this country, Tyre, who prostitutes herself for, for wealth, hoards her wealth, glorifies and exalts in wealth, and finds security in wealth, at the very end, will find that all this wealth that she's accumulated for herself will actually be set apart for God, and actually for God's people. Now, you can't make these sort of things up, right? That's why I like preaching exegetically, right? Because, you know, uh, where else in the Bible you know, speaks of this sort of thing? But, but that's actually exactly what it's saying. It's saying, you know, for the people of Israel when they're reading this, why do you look to Tyre and envy Tyre? Why do you envy her wealth? Why do you want to be like her? Why do you want to glory in wealth, exalt yourself in wealth, find security in wealth, prostitute yourself for wealth, and hoard your wealth, when on the very last day, all of these things will be given to you anyway. All right, that's, a, that's a lesson that's actually been given here. I think Jesus actually says the same thing. Except Jesus says it in one sentence, okay? And not 25 verses. Okay, so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, next slide, He says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And that's exactly what what Jesus is is saying, is is what Isaiah is saying in 18 verses. For God's people, why do you want to be like these arrogant and brash and proud people of Phoenicia, the the people of Tyre? Trust in God, because at the very last day, you will get what they worked so hard to achieve themselves. Now, as we look at this passage, basically you can summarize what is being said as a warning and an encouragement. Right? So the warning for us is, uh, as we l- understand this passage, uh, don't glory and exalt yourself in wealth. Right? Don't find security in wealth. Don't prostitute yourself to gain wealth. And don't store and hoard up wealth. Because these are all the characteristics of Tyre, and these are the characteristics for which God judges Tyre. But the encouragement at the very end, which God gives, uh, if you click it once, is that if you live before God, if you live for God, then God says in the end, God will give you all these things at the very end. I remember hearing a sermon uh, recently, or actually it was a talk, where someone said that your 
attitude to money or your attitude to wealth is a great barometer of your, your faith. It's a great barometer of your faith. So, as you look at this passage, if you are tempted to be exalting yourself in wealth and glorified in wealth, if you find security in wealth, if you're willing to prostitute and do anything for wealth, if you hoard all your wealth, then, in a sense, the thermometer or the barometer is warning you that uh, that's very dangerous, right? It's a very dangerous place to be. Now, I, remember, I want you to remember how, um, when I was working la, many, many years ago as an accountant, um, I had a friend of mine, and we, it was quite a good friend, and we were just chatting, and uh, I found out that he, he got a bigger bonus than me. And I, and I was quite upset about that, to be really honest. Uh, I felt even worse later, uh, in another conversation I had, when I found out he was actually earning more than me too, and we were doing the same job, right? Um, and I, when I talk to some of you, you share the same thing with me, right? You know, there's great stress, there's great angst when we see colleagues or friends get ahead and we think, how come, you know, they're earning more? How come uh, they, 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 they get bigger bonuses? Why do they drive nicer cars? Why do they live in uh, nicer houses? But I think at the end of the day, if, if that comes because we we want to glory and exalt ourselves in wealth, or because we want to find security in wealth, then the thermometer and the barometer of our Christian faith is warning us that this is the wrong attitude. This is the wrong attitude. It is just like Judah and God's people looking to Tyre and wanting to be like her. I was reading this book recently. Um, it's interesting, I went through my library and I have three of these books. So thankfully I gave one away. I realized that I, I, someone gave me one and I don't know how I got the other two, but I must have bought too many. But in that book, I was just reading last week, he made a very good point. He says, look, at the end of the day, right, when you're working, if you work faithfully before God and do the best you can, then you should be content with what you get. Right? Why is there this, this unhappiness within ourselves when we compare ourselves to other people? And they are doing better in terms of what they earn. Is it because we, we, we want to exalt ourselves in that wealth or find security in that wealth? Recently, uh, I went to a Chinese New Year uh, gathering and uh, one of my relatives was complaining to me about how he works in the university. And he was complaining about some of his colleagues who he said, you know, in, in university, they, you always have to write papers and do experiments. And he said, you know, some of his colleagues, they, they cut corners and they claim results which are not true and things like that. And some of them suck up to the boss. And he was very, very unhappy uh, about what was happening. Uh, and I think that for, for, for some of us, we might feel the same way. right? You go to work and there's some people who you feel are cutting corners and doing things in an unethical way to get ahead. And they do get ahead. And they seem to be rewarded for their ungodly and unethical behavior. But as we look at this passage, it's very similar to what God is saying about Tyre, right? If people are willing to prostitute themselves and to do anything and everything in order to get wealth, well, why do we want to be like that, right? Why do we want 
to be a prostitute for wealth? Why do we want to sell ourselves out in order to be wealthy? Because what this passage is saying is at the very end, all the wealth that is hoarded by the people who do prostitute themselves and do hoard and store all the wealth for themselves, God says, ultimately, it will be consecrated, it will be set apart and given to God's people at the very end. So as we look at this passage, I'm sure that we have never studied this passage before at this church. And I don't remember hearing it preached anywhere else. But it's got so much to teach us. Because money is, and wealth are such, are such important things that occupy our mind and our hearts. And uh, actually, if you reflect on this passage, it teaches us so much about the right attitude that we're to have to wealth. Uh, God doesn't say, oh, you know, if you earn above a certain amount, or if you, you know, you have a certain thing, then that's ungodly or evil. It is the attitude that counts. Whether you exalt yourself in wealth, whether you find security in your wealth, whether you prostitute yourself for wealth, whether you are hoarding and storing your wealth. These are all attitude things that God is talking about. And it's very important that we reflect on our own heart to see whether we have these attitudes. Because if we have these attitudes, then God actually says, these are not things that we should be, uh, attitudes that we should be having as God's people. And as we see from the example of Tyre, these are the things that actually God will bring low on the last day. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we realize that Isaiah chapter 23 can be hard for us to understand as we bridge uh, many thousands of years of culture and of time and of history. But your message is clear to us that as God's people, whether we live 2,700 years ago or whether we live today, uh, there is a great temptation within us to envy the wealthy, to envy the easy life that they have, to envy the celebration and exaltation of wealth that they have, to, to desire to have the security of wealth that they have. Uh, dear Father, teach us that in the end, uh, this glorification of wealth and this security of wealth will be brought low on Judgment Day. Dear Father, help us also to see that people who prostitute themselves for wealth and are willing to do anything and everything for wealth ultimately is futile because at the last day, once again, all things will be consecrated and given to those who stand faithfully before you. And dear Father, help us also to take to heart the warning not to be like the people of Tyre who only store up and hoard wealth for ourselves uh, like the rich, the parable of the rich fool, who only stored up things for himself but was not rich towards God. So, dear Father, help us also to examine our hearts in this area. And if we are lacking and failing in any of these areas, to really be reformed by the Holy Spirit in us and to change our attitude towards wealth and money. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.